Hello, everybody. It's Ellie, your host. I just wanted to jump in and let you know that I ran into some audio difficulties this week. One of my microphones didn't record, but I did manage to find a backup, so not all is lost. It's not perfect. Miles and Chelsea are a little bit quiet, and there are some moments where the microphone cuts out for less than half a second, but hopefully it's okay and we should be back to normal quality next week. Welcome to the special Hot Boy Summer edition of Late May. What? We've got Miles and Connor and Chelsea. We're all in the same room. How do you do? Oh my God. It's almost like the special Valentine's Day edition, but it's like Late May. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yes, I do. Yeah, yeah. Actually, it's kind of like that. Hey, it's, it's Valentine's hot- May. It's Hot Boy Summer. <laughs> and so we brought two of the hottest boys we know. Also, this is so great because this was entirely not planned that we were going to have um, the partners on the podcast. Yes. But it is so relevant to my topic. You would have thought that we had planned this out. Really? Yeah, oh, wow. I think you're going to be sore, please. I'm scared. <laughs> it's your park documentary, park roundtable podcast with a sprinkling of competition. I'm your host, Ellie Main, and joining me every week, we have Chelsea Harfouche. Wow, 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 wow. It's me. Um, I am riding high from Praise From My Friends, which is my mm-hmm. uh, which is my strongest, dankest drug in Sue. It's your love language. <laughs> it's my love language. <laughs> it's not communication, it's specifically praise. <laughs> it's specifically praise. Like any child who grew up in a gifted and talented program and then really just kind of plateaued into mediocrity through their young <laughs> adulthood, mm-hmm. uh, I just absolutely fucking suck up praise. <laughs> like it is a white powder on a crooked little mirror. Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> Allegedly. I am monstrously hungover today and as a result, I've completely forgotten to prepare either a fact bang or five fun fast facts. But you brought two hot boys. That's so true. there is that. <laughs> I offer you my boys. I have an incredible fact. Oh, okay. brilliant. And it's actually, it's going to be like a fact bang discussion. Oh, a fact okay. bang bang, if you will. Okay. I won't. In, I simply in, won't. In, 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 he actually won't. <laughs> uh, in the sense that uh, I almost made this one of my topics and then I thought there just wasn't enough to really like sustain. Sure, sure. Um, the classic really origin story of a fact bang. Yeah, the classic origin story of a fact bang is something just too little to be a topic. Mm. Uh, well, let me start out with the bang and then we'll get into it. Okay. Uh, did you know that most trees don't have trees as a common ancestor? Most trees don't have trees as a common ancestor. Where are they evolved from? Fish? All of, some <laughs> of them. Like, all sorts of things. This is the thing that I was, like, researching that I was, like, losing my fucking shit about. And I have just have several, like, bangs in here. Okay. For, I got some bangers. Got some bangs mm-hmm. lined up. We, as apes with too big of brains yeah. that constantly look for patterns. Mm-hmm. Now that we have, like, an American public school education <laughs> as an understanding of what evolution is, <laughs> we look for patterns in the sense that, like, we see animals or species that look similar and we think that oh those are like sim- like we've categorized sure, sure. yeah mm-hmm. like trees but the way that evolution actually works means that like there are a lot of things that look really similar but they don't have common genetic ancestors so okay. like things like trees mm. and fish there's really no such thing as fish <laughs> like we think of fish as just like you heard it here first folks right yeah <laughs> no what if I told you like I know you just sound like a conspiracy theorist but like well, you're saying like human brain go do it be in water do it have fins fish like, and that's not how we should be thinking about it at all like the more specific I guess the more specific example is that a cow is genetically closer to an orca <gasps> than it is to a horse this is okay you've you see now, what I'm saying yes you've shattered uh, my mind prison and this is like when you hear about like genetics so like obviously we categorize species in a lot of different ways because it doesn't make sense to categorize a cow and an orca in the same group necessarily sure. since they live such radically different lives whereas <laughs> 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 like, like a horse and a cow you're gonna kind of find them in the same place and they're serving like a very similar function for us right but yeah. and I ship them together and you ship them okay <laughs> Connor's becoming a furry by the way this is just an aside <laughs> wow he uh, made us watch a furry documentary on YouTube no and then he made us watch <laughs> no. I'm going to make you watch a furry documentary we haven't watched it yet <laughs> and then he made us watch an anime that's like Bojack Horseman but uh, with a really hot was she an alpaca odd taxi odd no, taxi it's very good but it's I am deeply one. concerned I mean we've all had confusing feelings about the part where Simba is neither a cub nor a fully grown lion and he's walking across the and thing that and he's just like a little hair. hot for like five seconds and, and yeah. Robin Hood Disney but versions to say oh, nothing can, of the he fox. fucks he yeah. 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 fucks yeah. anyways 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 so maybe a better example is like you guys have all heard the thing about like dinosaurs are 
birds, right? Yeah. 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 So, like, snakes <laughs> and lizards are less close to each other than lizards and birds. Things like that. Yeah. It's absolutely wild. Or, like, for example, here's a really good one. Rabbits and hares cannot interbreed. Oh, really? Huh. Yeah, even though you think of a hare as just, like, oh, like, a, a long rabbit. rabbit. Yeah. Yeah, a long rabbit. Mm-hmm. They don't even make, like, a little hybrid, like how donkeys and horses make mules? No. So that's, what, like, it's like they're just so genetically different huh. that, like, from a science point of view, they're completely different species. But look same. But look same. But for us, well, that's the thing is that, like, the moral of the of the fact gangbang, well, Miles will. <laughs> Still one. Uh, <laughs> is that taxonomy, since it's, like, a human discipline, yeah. is still all entirely, like, centered around experience. Mm. So, as we love to do with, like, science and all sorts of things, right? Yeah. It's about us. Like, well, so how, does, well, how does this affect us? Yeah. Can we make this about me? <laughs> Can we actually make this about me? So then it kind of becomes like, well, horses and cows sure hang out in that pasture, and they both have spines. Mm. Yeah. And then it's like, and meanwhile, orca should definitely be at SeaWorld. Yeah. And it's all arbitrary. Mm-hmm. And the more we learn about science, the more that we realize that we truly do not understand yeah. the natural world, even a little bit. That's a Fact bag. Well, Chelsea, seeing as apparently it's prescient to the hot boy episode of what, yeah. what is the title of your topic? Are you ready for this? The title of my topic is The Power of Love. <gasps> Power oh. of Love, the force from above. Yeah. Saving souls. Is it about that song? Um, is it about Celine Dion? No. I love but that Celine would be fun. Dion. It's about Back to the Future. The movie? No. That's the song they sing. Uh, the it's power. the power of love. I was thinking of the, what was the one I was thinking of? Is it Frankie Goes to Hollywood? The Power of Love. There's a lot of songs about the power of love, you guys. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hmm. Is it about... Is it about the Titanic in any way? God, could it be? <laughs> no. Okay. No. Titanic does not come into play. Is this about a new form of generating electricity? <gasps> where love. you put a male rabbit and a female rabbit on two wheels. Whoa. And they're separated from each other. Uh-huh. And they want to they wanna fuck. Uh-huh. Yeah. And they're running towards each other, but they can't. Oh, like we get to each other? They can't get there. And like then they, who? Like what we learned about weed. How, like, if you make the... Plant oh, money, yeah. Then it gets bigger weeds. Oh, yeah, that idea just allegedly, came so allegedly. <laughs> Oh, yeah. yeah, well, you know. He's a furry now. <laughs> How'd they get it really into this furry stuff, man? I'm an inventor. Yeah. <laughs> Something. Wait, what did you to say, Ellie? An inventor. Now, see, you're getting a little bit more on the right track. Whoa. The power Wait. Of inventions. Inventions. Fuck robots. Is it about fuck robots? No, but we absolutely Damn. have to watch that document. It's stunning. <laughs> stunning stuff. Like the three people in America who are obsessed with it. Yeah. yeah. Is it something about... Uh, this will be my last guess because I don't yeah. want to move on. Uh, but like experiments done in like let's just say I don't know the 70s or 80s on how like how being in a relationship like affects your brain and your ability to do things no but it is Damn. very sweet that that happens yeah it's true. Yes. Uh, nothing to do with the CIA no oh, they're always up to something I know CIA. Yeah. I know they are alright well, what's your title alright are you hosting this part? no I'm kidding uh, <laughs> my title is Oh the Humanity and if you know you know Oh the Humanity I think I know is it but I'm not going to say anything my thing? No, I've, your I've, thing? hey we've been together for years <laughs> I've never once. Don't ever look at my face. Not until we're married. You think you know? Yeah, but I'm not gonna say it. Well, this is the point of this well, video game. Other people, I think other people should guess it. first. Okay, wow. Connor, guess. Oh, isn't that like a Hindenburg thing? <laughs> yes! I think it's a Hindenburg yeah. thing. It is a Hindenburg Hot thing. Hot boy summer, yeah. <laughs> it is. That is where that lost came up, and we will get into it. But, oh my god. Yeah. You so is it just about oh. the Hindenburg? In a way. I would hope so. You just <laughs> said it is. <laughs> yes, I mean it is, but it is also about a uh, celebration of what we've all just been celebrating—the medium of film. Ooh, we love films. Yeah, that's true. Is I'm it, a fan of films. The Hindenburg <laughs> film? It was a snuff film. Yeah, it, it, was it like wasn't it kind of like the like the Tenet, yes. Challenger explosion, but like earlier? Yeah. Yeah, one it, Yeah. Remember yeah. that one yeah. element? Yeah. yeah. So as we guessed it, shall we go for it? Should we dive Let's into it? Let's just go for it, because now we know. Now we know. And then they and play now the music. We actually we know. And the yeah. music's all like <laughs> Oh, that yeah. was good. Yeah, yeah I don't even need to put good. it in now. It's perfect. You're <laughs> 
Okay, yes. The Hindenburg was filmed. Mm. We'll get into how and why. Okay. In 1936, a Kodak advert had the title Moments That Make History. A year before the Hindenburg disaster, it featured the Hindenburg <gasps> in that advert for Kodak film. What? Nice. A year before any of this happened. What happened, you might ask? Well, let's do a little bit of background. So the Hindenburg was one of those things that, like, I've heard the Hindenburg and the Hindenburg disaster. I didn't know anything about it. And I was shocked to look it up and find that it was a big Nazi war, like, airship. I, oh. Yeah, covered in swastikas. Brilliant. So it was a Zeppelin or airship or blimp fun uh, that exploded in New Jersey on May 6th, 1937. And the news cameramen were on the ground. They captured the scene and radio announcer Herbert Morrison cried, Oh, the humanity! Uh, and actually, I do have the radio recording of I'm him interested. witnessing the Hindenburg disaster. Because he was there, you know, just to comment on this, God, this wonderful uh, happening of the Hindenburg yeah. flying over Manhattan, flying over New Jersey and so he is live on the radio when it happens and I'm going to put it close to the microphone so that our uh, listeners on Patreon can uh, on Discord can hear it it's starting to rain again and the rain had uh, cracked up a little bit the back motors of the ship are just holding it uh, just enough to keep it from it burst into flesh get it started get it started it's flying and it's rising it's rising terrible Oh my, get out of the way, please. It's running, bursting into flames and, and it's falling on the morning fast and all the folks between us. This is terrible. This is the one of the worst catastrophes in the world. Oh, it's, 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 it's like 20, oh, four or five hundred feet into the sky. And it, it's a terrific crash, ladies and gentlemen. The smoke and the flames now and the famous crashing to the ground. Not quite to the morning mass. All the humanity and all the fans are just speeding around it. I told you, I can't even talk to too because they're drinking all the helium. <laughs> yeah, they're inhaling it. American Airlines had actually contracted with the operators of the Hindenburg to shuttle passengers from Lakehurst to Newark for connecting flights. So it was like a commercial vehicle that transported people to and from Germany, I guess. Um, and so except for the strong headwinds that slowed its progress, the Atlantic crossing of the Hindenburg was otherwise unremarkable until the airship attempted an early evening landing at Lakehurst three days later on May 6th. Luckily, it was only carrying half its full capacity of passengers, so 36 people instead of 70, and also half a crewman, 61, including 21 crewman trainees during the flight accident. But it was fully booked for its return flight, which obviously never happened. Most of the passengers with tickets to Germany were planning to attend the coronation of King George VI and Queen Elizabeth in London. Oh. Yeah, the following week. So it flies over Manhattan and a part of the story is that it was kind of a few hours behind schedule. They were rushing and it passed over Boston on the morning of May 6th. Because of poor weather conditions at Lakehurst, Captain Max Proust, captain of the Hindenburg, mm. charted a course over Manhattan Island and so that caused this public spectacle and people rushed out into the street to catch sight of the airship. Oh, it became it. like a whole thing and obviously they got like the media because they want, everyone wanted to see the glorious Hindenburg. Everyone wants to know where those people sit on the Yeah, yeah. They, they also wanted to know 
They want to see them jumping around inside. How on earth does it work, ladies and gentlemen? I'm confounded. So, 7.25pm, local time, as we've just heard from the radio there, the Hindenburg caught fire and quickly became engulfed in flames. The time that it took for the first sign of disaster to the bow crashing to the ground was 32 seconds. It was gone in 32 seconds. Shit, fall fast. Yeah. Hydrogen burns. Yeah. I mean, it's basically, yeah, like a big old it's kerosene a bomb. lamp. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. a flying bomb. Yeah. Um, the fire moved at 49 feet a second. Oh my God. Or That's 15 uh, meters a second, which re- resulted in a total destruction time of about 16 seconds. That's fucked. Holy shit. Yeah. That's fucked. I don't know how. Some people survived. <laughs> they jumped out. Wow. Oh, I don't like. I don't. Yeah. Can I tell you, I don't like it. The last uh, surviving like person, like victim of this, of the Hindenburg disaster, died in 2010. Um, and his mum had thrown him out when the fire started. Oh. She survived too, but everyone else not so much. Wow. This is both illogical and like not deeply narcissistic, but I hate that. <laughs> Because I know I would not have been one of the people who jumped out. Yeah, no, yeah. And like, absolutely. Not. And like knowing that, like, I've been like other pants? people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've been like, well, I'm done. Yeah, whatever. But knowing that, like, I was supposed to do something, and then like and someone you, else and it could have worked. It's kind of like bothers me. Yeah, that's fair. We'll remember that come points time. Yeah. And then there was one unfortunate <laughs> bloke who was on the ground, like under it, and he. So oh, 13, 13 passengers, 22 crew members, and this one dude who must have just been looking up like, oh, balls. And that's like the character in an action-adventure movie who's like been an asshole since the very beginning, and you've been waiting for him to get his comeuppance, and then he like betrays the hero and is running away with the treasure, uh-huh. and then, oh, beans, he that's looks it. up and is crushed by the Hindenburg. He's like the fuck, like the one F-bomb that they almost get out, where he's like, oh, fuck, yeah. and then like smash cuts <laughs> to like something else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's a fun picture and I'll drop it in the discord too of um, the Hindenburg with its beautiful decorations on the tail there. Yeah those are swastikas ain't they? Yeah that's a big Nazi boat. Somehow they always kind of cut that part out when I've seen other photos of it. Isn't that strange? Can I ask you a question and if it is where your topic is going cut it out. Yeah. Uh, Because to me like this establishes something that I've long thought about especially in like I don't know current situation that doesn't matter what. Um, (laughs) Like my you know my again my public school understanding (laughs) of the events leading up to World War II uh, was that the Nazi party came into power in the 30s Mm -hmm. and they were doing a bunch of spooky nationalist shit and some people were like, hey, y'all shouldn't do that. And other people were like, it's fine. And then it just reached a a tipping point of like no longer fine. And then finally enough people were like, that's not fine. Yeah. And then a few years later, even America, like right on time, was like... (laughs) Also, like, that's not hey, fine. Hey, guys. So all that is to say, this is 1937. Yeah. You're saying that a blimp with swastikas is flying over New York City, mm. which is something that maybe I think a lot of, like, people nowadays would think would have never happened. Yeah. So, like, there's a period of time in which, like, everyone just sort of treated Nazi Germany as, like, I don't know, those cookie Germans are up to yeah. something. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> They're not doing anything bad to me, yeah. so I'm not going to look well, into it. Well, there was yeah. a long time where, like, gosh, I forget who was Prime Minister of England when it started. He was a real spineless douche but he was like pro Hitler and was like oh, this is our, he's our friend and then, then, then yeah and then it was like wait how well hang on we can't do that not that God, come on yeah so here's this Nazi airship flying over New York and everyone's like wow so the disaster it's also part disaster part mystery because no one really knows exactly why or how it happened of course being the climate of the times their first thought was sabotage and that was put forward by sabotage. Hugo Eckner who was the former head of the Zeppelin company and sort of the quote-unquote old man of German. He knew his stuff about German airships. <laughs> old man Germany? <laughs> old man of German airships. He mentioned the possibility of a shot as the cause of the disaster because uh, apparently he'd been receiving threatening letters. Mm. But that didn't rule out other causes. And then he later endorsed the static spark hypothesis, which is like the most believed, you know, that it, there was a static spark and your big airship's not going to go so great. Like somebody like dragged their feet against the carpet and then touched their head? I think... Well, they think because it had to fly through thunderstorms oh. that I'll get there but the, the <laughs> explosion happens when they lower the landing ropes and so the idea was that by flying through thunderstorms these landing ropes had picked up static electricity and as they were dropped that caused the ignite and then there was like maybe a leak or something and that caused a, yeah the whoopsie do if you will he wasn't on there so Hugo Eckner obviously off, <laughs> off of being the former head of the Zeppelin company he was on a lecture tour in Austria and woke up 2.30 in the morning to be told about the 
crash. Charles Rosendahl, who was the commander of the Naval Air Station at Lakehurst in New Jersey, where it happened, he also believed that it was had been sabotaged. He laid out a case in his book, What About the Airship, in 1938, <laughs> which was an extended argument for the further development of this the rigid airship as it was a historical overview of the airship sort of concept. And then another proponent of the sabotage hypothesis was the captain, Max Pruss, captain of the Hindenburg throughout the airship's career. He flew on nearly every flight of the Graf Zeppelin since 1928 until the Hindenburg was launched in 1936. And in an interview in 1960, he said that, that the travel was safe and he strongly believed sabotage was to blame because on trips to South America, which was a very popular destination for German tourists, apparently, hence the Brazil with the Rio trip, both <laughs> airships passed through thunderstorms and were struck by lightning but remained to be unharmed. Huh. So if it gets struck by lightning and doesn't explode, I can understand why you would go, why you would think it's sabotage. Right. It's like, yeah, lightning seems to be fine, but like anything sharp or fast yeah. is just going to be devastating. It's going to be a bad time. So, <laughs> I mean, that's like a real horse, not zebra situation. Yeah. Know? They try and pin it on this person. There's a, another, in 1962, uh, someone published Who Destroyed the Hindenburg. What an asshole fucking headline. <laughs> uh, who destroyed the that's Hindenburg? That's the most clickbait shit I did. <laughs> 1962's version of clickbait. This book rejected all theories but sabotage and named a crew member as the suspect, a guy, Eric Spell, who was a rigger on the Hindenburg and died in the fire. But he was like, it was this guy and here's why. His girlfriend was a communist. (laughs) So that's number one. Yeah, so that'll get you. I mean, that's a red flag. Yeah. The fire's... (laughs) The fire's origin was near the catwalk, which was off limits to anyone but Spell. Ooh, they really went clue on this shit. They did go clue on this shit. Apparently... Spell had been had been investigated by the Gestapo Ooh. in 1938. After that, who okay, was it? Who was it? <laughs> High Gestapo. Hot summer. guys. <laughs> he had an interest in amateur photography, which would make him familiar with flashbulbs that could have served as an igniter, which is a real like. I was waiting for how that was relevant. I know that's. He was a big. He was really into photography, and everyone knows those guys are fucking weirdos <laughs> that can't be trusted. The NYPD, in their investigation, determined that the cause of a fire was likely to be the insoluble residue from the depolarizing element of a small dry battery, and um, guess who has those in there? cameras spell and the discovery by the FBI they found yellow substance on the valve cap of the airship between cells four and five where the fire was first reported and although it was suspected to be sulfur which can ignite hydrogen it was later determined that the residue was actually from a fire extinguisher I don't know how that convicts spell but his this guy who wrote this book Holing his hypothesis goes on to say that it's unlikely that spell wanted to kill people and that he intended to burn the airship after it landed but with the ship already over 12 hours late he just you know he was unable to find an excuse to reset the timer on his bomb. <laughs> <laughs> so like, it's just a comedy of errors there. Yeah. <laughs> and then this is my favorite theory. It's been suggested that Adolf Hitler himself ordered the Hindenburg to be okay. destroyed because Hugo Eckner, the old man of German airships, was very anti-Nazi. Mm-hmm. And so Ooh. then Hitler was like, burn his big ship! That's some Bush did 9-11 shit right there. That's yeah. Some... And then this is where our friend the movies come in. Okay. So the 75th anniversary memorial service for the Hindenburg disaster, an aviation historian, Dan Grossman, was approached by a man in the crowd. Offhandedly, the stranger said he had some footage of the Zeppelin explosion and that film has now provided an un seen angle of the disaster which Ooh. may have solved the mystery about the Hindenburg what this man okay. Bob Schneck says I've got some film of the Hindenburg disaster you probably don't really care but it was taken by my uncle and I'll, sh- I'll show it to you if you want if you want me to and obviously Dan Grossman's like yes <gasps> yes please and so they sh- he showed it to them and he's and Grossman realized the footage's significance as soon as he watched it he says my reaction was just wow I can't believe we have this angle which was like why did you write that down but <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> He said, wow, this sure is some film. Yeah. Bob Schneck's uncle, Harold, stood waiting with the crowd for the airship to arrive. So he was there and he had with him a Kodak wind-up camera. He could only shoot for two minutes at a time because that's how long the film was. Mm -hmm. And so it's very, um, it's like little snapshots of little moments. And in doing so, Harold captured something that the press did not because the cameramen, like I said, were waiting for the Hindenburg to arrive so they could get footage of people disembarking. Ugh. And so most of the previously known footage had only captured what happened after the explosion already started. Mm-hmm. Mr. Schneck was filming all the stuff the press pool didn't see, but he even missed the exact moment of the spark. But the whole film shows how the Hindenburg goes from the pristine airship to a charred wreckage in less than a minute. Right. 
Uh, he did capture something significant, the ropes. His footage shows the moment that the Hindenburg lowered its landing ropes about four minutes before it exploded. And with the lowering of the ropes, they think they can see in the, in the film the spark, which then interacted with an existing hydrolyte that the Hindenburg had suffered. They could see a spark from this, Supposedly. Like, ass- that is a wider camera? Grossman, as we have, we've talked about with Blimps, it was never going to be safe because you can't safely operate a flying bomb. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the Germans had developed very deliberate and careful protocols for how to operate an airship and many of those were ignored. They found that out in the investigation. <laughs> Several factors that day may have contributed to the shortcuts the crew took. An early thunderstorm, like I said, which increased the risk of static discharge. The Hindenburg was running late, so they were rushing, attempting a high landing, which was a much more dangerous type of landing for a blimp. And that involves dropping these ropes from the high altitude and winching the aircraft to the ground. So there's a lot of like high risk of generating sparks by doing that, and much more so than a normal low landing. Uh, you can never operate a hydrogen airship in complete safety, and you can certainly never operate one in complete safety where there are thunderstorms, Grossman explained, but you can operate it in a safer or less safe manner, and they chose a less safe manner by choosing a high landing instead of a low one. It's a human way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is there a universe in which any of you would get in the hot air? Yeah, yeah. 100%. Oh, absolutely not. Not under <laughs> really? any circumstance. Really? It seems, I just can't get over, it's exactly how I feel when I realize how lo-fi airplanes are, and then I was like, I never want to know this again like <laughs> I never want to know but this like again. a hot air balloon you can't even divorce yourself from how lo-fi it is like you are just mm-hmm. you are in a basket like a kitten <laughs> under a hot under like a balloon and the only thing controlling how high the balloon is or where it's not even really where it's going <laughs> anything a wind a strong wind there's no only way of knowing which direction just, we are going yes I just, in no universe, I don't get in a basket attached to a balloon? Are you fucking insane? The fact that anyone does this still. It's like basket. The way I feel, honestly, I feel like if you are a person who would get in a hot air balloon in the year of Our Lord 2021, you are a person who would have surgery without somebody wearing gloves. Like, you're just like, I don't know. There's no rules. I'll be fine. I'm invincible. But what if I wanted to I'm in a hot air balloon. What if I wanted to go in a hot air balloon forever? You don't. (laughs) I know that you don't. I know that you're a contrarian little liar. (laughs) Oh, I had a more annoying one. I didn't say. I think I can guess. Uh, And you are annoying, but I love you anyway. This is what's really wild to me about this, is that Schneck and his family tried to give the film to the accident investigators right after it happened, but they chose to not look at it. They were like, no, we've got all the newsreels. We've got all the newsreel stuff. Much like the people aboard the blimp, they were like, I don't want to waste time doing any of this shit that I should probably be doing. I want to fucking go home. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so there is an, in fact, there is a PBS documentary that just came out, came out like yesterday, where they show taking this film to like someone who specializes in restoring and like identifying very, 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 very old film. She literally looks at this wind up camera and immediately goes, oh yeah, that's a Kodak Model 20, blah, 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 blah. It's very, very cool. And then she talks through how with those really, really old types of film, what the different indentations mean. And then there's like a date code that's just a triangle and a square. And she has this big thing that she opens up and looks up and you can find that it's like, it's so imprecise. It's like, it means that this film was made somewhere between 1936 and 1937. Wow. Um, it's very, very cool. Yeah, so thanks to the stunning new footage, we were able to revive a cold case investigation surrounding one of the most iconic disasters of the 20th century. And unsurprisingly, <laughs> the Hindenburg really does sort of mark a turning point in the public perception of Zeppelins. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and shattered public confidence in the giant flying bombs and marked the abrupt end of the airship era. Would you Honestly, say that the airship era went up in flames? I, I think, I. you know what? I would. You know what? I, I want to show you this film, and it's not great for the listening audience, but it is very, very cool. So this is available. Oh, uh, I'll wait. Yeah, this is, this is the final thing. And then I'm doing. So she loads up the film. Here we go. Wow. That's him. <laughs> <laughs> Holy cow. That's a, that is a that violent angle. Yeah. It's really rough. You could, I can only imagine. And some heat. people survived that? I know. And the investigators were like, nah. Not wild. I will say I am upset at the destruction of the Hindenburg, obviously because of the tragic loss of life, Mm. but also because it did keep us from a cool steampunk ass blimp world. Yeah. um, That uh, inevitably one of these bad boys was going to explode, but like... (sighs) 
we could have yeah. just gotten just a few more years of cool airships. And that just bums me yeah. out. And just well, as a final fact, because this is a Titanic podcast featuring yes. other things, <laughs> the article that I got a lot of my information from at the bottom, the link said, click here to see new new released images of the Titanic. So, oh, <laughs> so they knew. They knew what, what we were up to. Well, and also, Miles, anytime you want to visit that world, like that fantasy world that you feel you missed out on, you can simply watch the, uh, the hit film, Sky Captured in the World of Sky Tomorrow. Tomorrow, yeah. <laughs> I can play. I can watch that. I can play Crimson Skies, and I'm pretty sure there's an anime about airships. And that's what I got. That's gotta be. That's my. That's my topic. The Hindenburg. Oh my. And the new movies and how movies are great. Oh, the humanity. I know the the accent is really good. It's really good. Yeah, Yeah, it's it's a a terrific crash. I would love. I would love to hear what topic just about the transcendent accent. It's a weird accent. I love. Yeah, I'm like a big. Well, you know, like some people are like boob nerds. I'm like a big nerd for like fake accents or like accents that only exist like because you learn them. Mm-hmm. Like receipt, like the RP accent. Yeah. Um, or like BBC English. The accent classism that is happening in the UK. <laughs> Oh yeah. No offense. It's no, it fucking is. fascinating. It is, yeah. But we cannot start a new topic. Chelsea right Hoffoosh, BBC News. Yes. <laughs> On Chelsea. School me, baby. Boys, you gotta score her. Uh Miles go first. Oh. <laughs> um I liked it a lot. Thank you. Um, I am going to give you uh, like it's it's a selfish thing. I'm gonna give you ten points <gasps> just because you did not have to show that final like clip of the footage that no one had ever seen before. Um some would argue that it was bad for an audio medium sure. for yeah. you to do that but me as a person got to watch that motherfucker burn to the ground and then crash in the most horrific thing ever I am going to give you 10 points to that because I, I, I do have to be honest I wanted to see it very bad <laughs> I wanted to see it very badly the morbid curiosity in me needed to see that and you did indulge me that she um, did deliver but um minus two points because we don't have Sky Captain World of Tomorrow World right now <laughs> so and that's not on you but isn't it yeah you know what Kinda. I mean so that's me okay uh uh, I'll also give you eight points. Okay, just a nice balance it out. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> I liked it. <laughs> what about the, the, old, the old IGN eight out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> but what about the part you didn't like where you wouldn't have jumped out? Oh, uh, yeah, I didn't like that. But it's not really Ellie's fault. I mean, <laughs> Chelsea. <laughs> oh, she tried. Uh-oh. <laughs> wow. Do you understand how close the school the scores are? Get... Oh, yeah, I was genuinely under the impression you were kicking her ass. <laughs> no. <laughs> Uh, babe, don't like, worry, really I'll give you it. points later. We'll see. Wow, Let we have it on it? footage. What? On footage right here. <laughs> Collusion! <laughs> Collusion! we recorded last week in fact uh-huh. I accidentally left uh, audition recording and so the next day I was like why is this file 45 gigabytes <laughs> <laughs> recorded all night okay we're back alright are you guys ready to hear about the power of love yes Absolutely. the power of love okay so first I have to start with like a quick anecdote as you do sure sure so the other night uh, I was in an Uber with a couple friends the Uber itself was like an I don't know like 2000 whatever the limit of year is for like being a ride chair like 2004 it was a 2004 Toyota like highlighter this will be relevant okay. um, <laughs> I'm gonna take notes it started with the Uber driver nagging us about <laughs> his protein drink that he had in the front seat being like you guys are like not quiet enough about my protein drink I can tell you're talking about it we're like okay weird energy and then he was like imagine he was like imagine <laughs> if I was like I'm not kidding he goes imagine if I was like some sort of like psycho macho guy and I got really mad at y'all and we were like <laughs> that, would, that is fun to imagine yeah that's great uh, drive me to my home please <laughs> so then the conversation continues as we're just talking to each other and he is not talking to us anymore after that outburst but then the conversation turned to Tesla's and we were discussing good. our friend yeah our friends my friends were discussing whether or not they would buy a Tesla like whether or not they're ugly and like obviously with the understanding of just like none of us can afford a Tesla right in a hypothetical world would you buy a Tesla if you could? And I said something like, well, I just can't justify giving Elon Musk money. Yeah. And turns out this was a really offensive thing to say to this Uber driver. Uh-oh. And he was like, 
wait, 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 wait. He goes, why wouldn't you give money to Elon Musk? Oh, no. And yeah, and we all were like... The richest man in the world. <laughs> and I was like, um... Because his dad owns an emerald mine and he hasn't actually invented anything that he's gotten all this money for. Uh, and he really sucks. And then he went, and I'm not kidding, he went, okay, like that. <laughs> and then I was like, great, take me to my home, please. Yes, yeah, please. Okay. <laughs> so all this is to say, in case you were concerned that Elon Musk stands only exist online, they're real, they're out there, and they might drive you to your home where you live. Sure. And then know where that is. And then know where that is forever. Yeah. So that's fun. And there's no way to actually take these back to you <laughs> until the app that you no longer want that person to take you to this address. Yeah. So that's really fun. But I am here to say, I'm here to stand in the face of that uncomfortable interaction. Sure. And say, despite whatever Elon Musk and that fucking Uber driver who have nothing in common, uh, Elon Musk would never even look at him, let alone be friends with him. Sure. Whatever they think, capitalism is not the mother of invention. Whoa. Because love is. Okay. And okay. more specifically, the mother of invention is actually the wife guy. That's right. Uh, this is a wife guy topic. Wait, what's that? Who's what's a, a wife, wife guy? guy? <laughs> I would love to tell you about what a wife guy is. First of all, Connor, do you have any thoughts about the wife guy? Because this is something that we've talked about a lot. I love wife guys. Yeah, we love wife guys. Okay, so I would dare to say... <laughs> In a scenario in which either of us were in marriages, which we're not. Okay, marriages. These two hot boys that we have brought into this room might maybe fall under an umbrella of wife guy. Oh. So like in the in the broadest sense, a wife guy is a guy that loves his wife. <laughs> and in okay. the broadest sense, and it, that's the thing is like, if you think about it, that's actually not all married guys. No. Oh. Right now. So yeah. it's a wife guy exists and like it is also, it's an online term. So you can say a wife guy exists online and he is a counterpoint to the kind of like boomer Gen X of like, oh, take my wife, old ball and chain. Uh -huh. A wife guy, typically like a millennial or maybe a, a younger Gen X is a guy that's like, no, I love my wife. She makes my life better in every way. Yeah. My wife is super cool. I'm sensitive. I'm sensitive. I would say all three McElroys are wife guys. Yep. John Mulaney up until very, very recently was like the blueprint wife guy. I see. People would talk about how he was like Mr. Wife Guy. I see. Oh, um, sad. I would say in the spectrum of wife guydom, mm -hmm. there is, of course, a darker end of the spectrum. Uh, so, for example, do you guys remember, uh, and this is riffing a little bit, I just want to make sure I give credit. We're going to talk about this, which I know I've talked about them before, but Anime Sickos, which is a podcast mm -hmm. that Connor introduced me to that I really love. They have a, a couple episodes, I think, about wife guys, <laughs> and they talk about the wife posts. Well, yeah, famous. They talk about famous wife posts. They talk about famous wife posts, which has so, a lot of overlap. In the narrower sense, mm -hmm. a wife guy was originally online. It was somebody who part of their personality was their <laughs> marriage. Yes, okay. Yeah. And more specifically, they were wife guys because they were famous online for something involving wives. Uh, right. Okay. So maybe the most iconic wife guy post, which they talk about in Anime Sickos, if you go back and listen to their episodes about it, is... I swear to God, if you bring up the Kevin Smith one more time... <laughs> no, Kevin Smith is so good! Uh, no, that's that was, horrible that's, toxic wife but guy. You know, energy. What I say, but it's not no. not wife guy. Right. Okay. Sorry, I just had to make sure I didn't need to physically no. leave this room. No, 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 it's not that. But do you guys remember the post that makes me laugh every time I think about it of the guy being like, "I love my curvy wife." It's like it's an Instagram post of him with his arms around his wife on like a beach, and she is by any measure like a banging hot woman. Like she is just like she is what you would call like a straight size. Okay. Like she has a she's a big ass, Brilliant. but like as Quentin Tarantino would say in the script of Death Proof, and this is true, uh, uh, parentheses a good thing, like <laughs> which is what he has in his. That's his like this is the character description. I know I'm really going Batman's off the rails. Batman's a murderer. Yeah, he's a fucking nightmare person. Can I but, tell you a quick side story? Yes, please. Immediately, something that I wish that I could just erase from the earth. And if this is you, if you're listening, if this has been you, assess yourself. Is honeymoon his and hers t-shirts at airports oh, specifically yeah my favorite i mean we you know we saw the etsy cursive hers and his the other uh, day that was pretty good my favorite ones i've ever 
first scene though is that they were like the kind of like you know like toilet sign drawing of people no yeah and hers was like grabbing onto a man and it said I got one and then his said um, the ball and chain has arrived now see that's not wife guy energy no because they're going in the opposite direction yeah and I have seen some of those or like you see like the um, engagement photos where it's like she's like locking him in oh. like handcuffs mm. and it's like why, why? it's the what? same energy of like the signs are like don't talk to me till I've had my morning wine in a kitchen and you're like that okay well but that's that's a I'm concerned are you okay for some reason available at Hobby Lobby yeah, yeah. It, look well because not... it's funny yeah. <laughs> it's, it's fun. can I also throw out something maybe a little controversial please because we are building like a very wholesome definition of a wife guy here or it, you're kind I'm of trying to show the spectrum but please go ahead and like go well I feel like part of the wife guy is that like the actual wife isn't important yeah it's more about to him to the, the, the wife guy the the existence of the wife I think that's absolutely true in the sense that like wife guy is an identity signifier for a man right, right. You know, like the wife like you don't even need to know who John Mulaney's wife is right. to know that he's a wife guy well and being and, like, was. Lies. was yeah and oh. I feel like you could even become a wife guy even if you weren't married that's wild yeah. you, <laughs> that is controversial because you just you don't have to have a wife so much. you just have to make posts about having wife. a wife yeah so yeah the ultimate maybe not the ultimate shitty wife guy because there have been a lot yeah um, and also maybe even the Kevin Smith is much worse than this Ugh. this is like relatively benign as far as like internet scandals go uh-huh. so this was the picture that this guy posted of him and his wife of uh-huh. him and his normal wife uh-huh. right and then his, he wrote his curvy girl yeah this is what he wrote I'm not reading the whole thing because it was very long sure uh, but it was I love this woman and her curvy body as a teenager I was often teased by my friends for my attraction to girls on the thicker side oh. ones who were shorter and curvier oh. girls at the average parentheses basic bro might refer to as chubby or even fat then as I became a man I started to educate myself on issues such as feminism and how the <laughs> such me- as feminism <laughs> and how the media marginalizes women by portraying a very narrow and very specific standard of beauty uh, I realized how many men have bought into that lie what an ally. for me there's nothing sexier than this woman right here thick thighs big booty cute little side etc and so it's just like yes so yeah he has taken mm, okay I'm his seeing. wife and her very normal body that I'm sure she is allowed to have any feelings about that she wants but are hers yeah uh, and he has made it his identity because he was brave enough <laughs> to reject the brainwashing what a hero what a fucking, fucking and, and heroically wow. love his wife <laughs> despite wow despite what a what society might think yeah about his very again I just cannot stress this enough society finds this woman attractive like objectively yes. attractive yeah so that's gonna be the dark that's a I great see. example okay. of like the darker side of wife guidance uh-huh. which as Connor pointed out it's only fair to say because the rest of what I'm gonna talk about is like pretty pure wife guy energy okay. <laughs> and really this was all just the asterisk before we got into the heart this of was the well this was like the um contextualized okay. okay like thank you, thank you. we are talking about wife guy energy as the basis of invention and so I'm gonna take you guys <laughs> I know. Look, I wish that I were writing this article in like, or this paper in like sophomore year of college. Hell yeah. But I'm not. In this essay, I will. <laughs> I will demonstrate four key examples. Amazing. Where wife guy energy have created some of the absolute best things that we have in this world. Oh, okay. So, okay. Well, just looked at me very excitedly. I wow. So let's go back 140 years okay. or 130 years to 1890. Yeah. 1890. Things are going great for everyone. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. 100%. Sure. Nothing, sure. nothing looms on the horizon. <laughs> nothing's bad and nothing's ever been bad. Uh, except maybe surgery. Which was really <laughs> Which was bad. Yeah. Which was bad. Mostly because people kept dying and nobody really understood why. Yeah. They were like, I just buy I've been like filling it. this man with leeches and he seems to be dying. I gave him extra cocaine. Yeah. And his heart stopped. I, I don't know why. Uh, anyway, so there was um, at this time one of the greatest and like foremost surgeons working in America was a man named William Stewart Halsted. He was working at Johns Hopkins, which even all the way back then had a reputation for being mm-hmm. a pioneering hospital in the forefront of medicine. He's very much like the Doctor House of this time, like eighteen ninety John Righteous. Hopkins. He's reclusive. <laughs> he's eccentric. But instead of like secretly being, British, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
British, but he is he's aristocratic <laughs> uh-huh. because he's a doctor. He's like a successful doctor and surgeon. Okay. And he's actually inventing a lot of things that are still part of modern medicine, even today. In fact, oh, yeah, he's okay. responsible. This one's not necessarily as great, yeah. but he is responsible for the modern residency system. Oh. So before that, it was like doctors kind of worked much more on like kind of like an apprentice system of just like, hang out with me. And then if I if I think you've hung out with me long enough, you can also like, you can just come mm-hmm. home. I don't give a shit. And he created yeah, like a cool, much- dude. Yeah, yeah, he created a much more mandated residency system of like, you should do these exact things for this amount of time, these many years, and then you can eventually become like a real doctor. So that's something that he is very famous for. The other thing that he's really famous for is he is the doctor that invented medical gloves. Nice. Which is kind of, I was sort of foreshadowing earlier when I was talking about like getting surgery without gloves on, but like that was the reality as recently as like 1890. They would just go in there, open that up, rifle in there. Well, they had a very, very basic understanding of germs, Mm. which was more, it was more like humors. And it was like, you got some bad humors in there. Uh, (laughs) And it never occurred to them that like, there might be something on your hands when you put them in somebody else's body that would be bad. Yeah, that could make them not feel so great. So he is the creator of surgical rubber gloves. Nice. But he did not create them for any medical purpose. He actually created them out of love. Because this man, (laughs) Dr. Halstead, was secretly in love with his surgical nurse. Who was named Caroline Hampton. She was also an aristocrat, so that made it okay. Yeah, (laughs) good. And she had once been very socially prominent, but then during the Civil War, her family had lost all of their money, no matter why. And, (laughs) And she had to then become a working woman hence becoming a surgical nurse. Embarrassing. Shameful. Uh, he, he started to notice when they would be in the operating... I mean, like this literally feels like a period piece of Grey's Anatomy. He would notice like across the surgical table as he was operating and she was his uh, surgery nurse that she seemed to suffer from what they called occupational dermatitis, aka horrible like costumes on your hands from surgery. Cool. Then again, they were like, there's no way these things are related though, right? <laughs> oh, your hands get fucked up doing surgery the same way they do doing woodworking. Right. Oh. And for no other reason. So she would have horrible, like, sores on her hands and, like, cha- like chap scans like that. Ow. He thought it was because of gentle blood. Because she was, <laughs> she was so gentle and beautiful. Uh, so he married... Oh, my God. So... Baby, you've been hung over all day. It's just because of your gentle blood. Gentle blood. Baby, it's just your gentle blood. Yeah. So he went to the Goodyear Rubber Company. You might know them for their tires. Off of tires, uh, yeah. And he asked them to use their rubber to make this design he made which was basically like a glove attached to a gauntlet okay but out of very thin rubber but he only ordered them for his wife to see if they would solve her occupational dermatitis and it was only after <laughs> it was only after it solved her problem that everybody else wanted like, one that's good actually. and then they realized that it was making the rate of success in their surgeries go up and oh. then Johns Hopkins implemented use like like it's just like hospital wide like a policy that everybody should use gloves they're like, guys, I know this is crazy, but <laughs> hear me out. From now on, like, everybody needs to wear gloves every... And they're like, but every surgery? Yes, yeah. every surgery. Yeah, knowing what I know now about people, <laughs> there was definitely a bunch of doctors that were like, like... I'm not fucking doing I'm it. I'm not going to do it, all right? You're encroaching on my freedom. In as much as, like, being a, a doctor in the 1800s and four was treated much more like an artisan mm-hmm. than, like, yeah. a scientist, I'm sure there were doctors who were like, you'll, you'll. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> While this guy dies on my table. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, yeah, totally. So absolutely. But the truth is, is um, then it was implemented hospital-wide in Johns Hopkins, and it was like that for several years, and then it became uh, the national standard. Nice. And it was really only several years later that we started to understand germs, that they were like, oh, ah. well, it's really glad that we do this. <laughs> yeah. But it all started not because of germs or because of the patient's wife's safety, gentle blood. Because of uh, Dr. Halstead's wife's gentle blood and wanted to save hands. Beautiful. Wow. So that is my first wife guy invention. Mm-hmm. Oh, shit. Now let's move away from 18. 90s surgery and all the way to that's right goldfish crackers okay <laughs> goldfish crackers were invented by a wife guy goldfish crackers are absolutely a wife guy invention what? so i thought for sure that would be like a dad guy or a, a mom lady no no no, no, no. <laughs> like when my children don't like to eat this baked cheese mm-hmm. i make for them i better put <laughs> fishes on it so technically goldfish are soup crackers which we don't think about them that way because they're just so gosh darn good to eat and like <laughs> if, if this episode <laughs> Not at all sponsored by goldfish, but like if they wanted to, reach out. Get on here. Uh, When I was a child, I don't know what it was about goldfish specifically. I would shovel them in my mouth to the point where like they were like 
spilling on the side. I, I was that's... so like. Wait, hold on. Is this why there are plain goldfish? Oh, what non-flavored. Yeah, no, 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 non-flavored goldfish. Oh yeah, because yeah, they're probably. for soup. They're soup crackers. I was like, what fucking madman created goldfish that made them worse? Well, I was always just like, what psychopath eats the plain flavored goldfish? Also good. <laughs> Chelsea is that so oh, okay. I would I I prefer the cheese ones. Yes. Obviously. But the plain ones are not bad. I won't not eat them. I get They're that. I'm me. I'm the psychopath that thinks that non-frosted Pop Tarts are the best Pop Tarts, but we don't have time to get it out. <laughs> yeah, we we really don't have time. So it's 1958, mm. and a biscuit maker in Switzerland wants to create a birthday present for his wife, <laughs> who is a Pisces. And the symbol oh, for Pisces oh is a fish. Oh my god. So he created these special golden fish shaped crackers that he called goldfish and he served them to her and in his little biscuit shop in honor of his wife's birthday every year. So then when Pepperidge Farms founder Margaret Ritkin was visiting Europe in the 60s she thought they were so adorable that she brought them back to the United States uh, to be manufactured by Pepperidge Farm uh, and it wasn't until 1997 that they added uh, the smile for the crack. Mm-hmm. I think that we have like sort of like this um, retroactive like narrative of just like well gold Goldfish are really popular children's pets. Right. So now you have like this like friendly goldfish that's like a yeah. children's snack. Mm. But it's not. It's that they were just fish shaped because she was a Pisces. And so he made her a special soup cracker that would be a fish. Adorable. Mm-hmm. And then America just came over and just wholesale ripped and, that shit off. Yeah, and they were like, oh, so that's my, that's for me now. Actually. We actually made this. They're like, but what if they were flavor blasted? <laughs> I actually want to get into this. From from what I've heard, the laws are like copywriting recipes is actually extremely complicated and bizarre. Mm, I bet it is. I have heard this. I haven't super got into a lot of it, but what I've heard is that this is part of the reason. In addition to um, SEO bullshit, which is way more boring. You know how everybody complains that when you look at a recipe online, it has a really long like personal essay? It's because that part is then technically that person's IP for the recipe. Wow. Uh, And you know what else? cannot be um, trademarked are fashion designs. It's almost as if things that are normally the domain of women or traditionally the domain of women are less mm. valued Whoa. as like intellectual property. Isn't that strange? That's, <laughs> that's why, for example, the Burberry check, the pattern can be trademarked, but you can't trademark like that the design colors. of a dress. Right, right, right. Yeah. But to bring it back somewhere fun, do you know that band-aids were invented by a man whose <laughs> wife was so clumsy that she constantly <laughs> hurt herself while making meals for the family. Oh my god. Because of her gentle skin. Oops. Janet's again. Her name was Josephine Knight Dixon. Close. Mm. Uh, yeah. And she was literally constantly burning and cutting herself <laughs> while she was making food for her family. Uh, this was in 1920. This was before <laughs> antibiotics were regularly available. So this man was like, I'm going to lose my wife to like lasagna. <laughs> I, 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 it is very much of that time for that man to be like, oh my God, my wife keeps injuring herself kitchen. I know what I have to do. Do. It's not help. It's <laughs> never gonna be help, but it will be give her something after she hurts itself. Yeah. Now where's the meatloaf? <laughs> yeah. She's he's like, God, I've gotta make sure I can help her get food on the table in time. Uh-huh. So yeah, so she shared her she shared her um afflictions. <laughs> she was she told her husband Earl, I'm so sorry that your meatloaf is late for like the eight hundredth time. It's because I simply almost cut my pinky off. <laughs> and it just so happened that her husband Earl Dixon was worked as a cotton buyer for Johnson and Johnson. Ah. Uh, he had this moment of just like, well, uh, what if like we didn't have to get out like the gauze and the band and the linen bandages <laughs> and all the stuff every time she does this since it's uh, all the time and my dinner's cold. <laughs> what if there was like a bandage that would just stay on by itself that she could kind of put on like it's like a temporary fix so she could get back to cooking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so this one's maybe a little less sweet. This one has more of like the kind of like medium. Uh, this one has more of like energy. the nefarious wife guy energy that Connor was describing where it's uh-huh. like he was like and then I like a hero <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah he's the clumsy wife guy yeah well most men in his day would have been like I'm gonna take her back to the wife factory yeah. I just can't put up with this anymore a new one please but he so loved his clumsy wife yeah 
that he invented a little thing to stop her from getting her gross cuts on his food. So yeah. she could feed her hungry guy. So she yeah. could just feed her hungry guy. <laughs> yeah, he created this like like kind of like a thin strip of gauze that could like sort of self-adhere to itself based on like, the properties of like the cotton so that she would just have a roll of it at all times in her kitchen and she could snip off as much as she needed and they called them band-aids. Uh-huh. And that eventually became the adhesive band that had like sticky stuff on it that we know today. But it started because of a wife guy <laughs> who just wanted his dinner. <laughs> okay. So, okay, so this one is really fun because it's a combination of, I think, two internet things that you like, Connor. One being uh, wife guy posts mm. and the other one being um, Italians getting really mad about Italian food online. Oh, that is great. Yeah. So, if you've ever interacted with like um, a recipe video <laughs> or like, I don't know, like a BuzzFeed tasty mm. about anything that like is meant to be Italian or Italian influenced, inevitably there will be somebody like in the comments that's like, this is not Italian. Yeah. And I can't, I can't. Um, (laughs) And one of the things that I see a lot is like, uh, hey, like cheese is not like traditionally part of like pasta dishes. And like in Northern Italy, things will have cheese in them. But like traditionally like spaghetti and stuff like that, like or spaghetti like marinara, you don't put cheese on it. Like Mm -hmm. it's not like the traditional like whatever. So they're always accusing Americans of uh, boiling their pasta in milk. I don't know. He has shown me these. I don't know why that is. If it's because of like the prevalence of like cream-based sauces, or just like you know, Americans love dairy products too it much. So mm-hmm. like, of course, they like boil their pasta in milk too. But like, that's a common. You that's said so that, weird. and I was like, oh, I wonder if that would make it better. Was that legitimately <laughs> my first thought? So you might then wonder, where does fettuccine Alfredo from? Because that is a cheese sauce. Mm-hmm. And furthermore, I have seen people write Alfredo as um, instead of being a. L-F-R-E-D-O, which is the Italian name Alfred, sure. or the Italian version of the name Alfred. I've seen people even spell it like A-L space like F-R-E. Alfredo. No, like more like like Al Olio, which is like with oil. Right? Oh, like Alfredo, yeah. as if like Fredo is a thing. To the Fredo. Yeah, to the Fredo. The Fredo uh, is a Fredo. thing. It's a but small like, chocolate frog. But like, that's not the word for cheese in Italian. It's formaggi. So, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you might be thinking like, where did Alfredo come from? It's because it was invented by a man named Alfredo Di Lelio cute for you guessed it his, his wife, wife. <laughs> it was in 1914 his wife Inez uh, was pregnant with their second child and she was so sick because uh, of her pregnancy makes she sick that she literally could not hold down mm-hmm. anything else. And so he went in the kitchen and tried to look up like anything that they had and he put together pasta and, and milk or like cream and some Parmesan cheese and he mixed it all up and it was just sort of like mellow mm-hmm. and heavy enough that it like settled her stomach. Aww. And that's how fettuccine Alfredo was born. Mm-hmm. And also it was tasty as we all know. Yeah. So he started serving it at his restaurant in Rome. And that's when Hollywood actors like Douglas Fairbanks and Mary Pickford, you know, everybody's favorite Hollywood actors. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, They dined there on their honeymoon in the 20s. And they liked Fettuccine Alfredo so much that they sent Delelio a golden fork and spoon. (laughs) Which is essentially weird, bonkers, like old school rich people shit. Oh, yes. I I like it because it seems like a diplomatic gesture, but it's just like (laughs) you're just an actor. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, I love the idea of just being like, here's my golden. They were all yeah. like, we should do something nice for that gentleman that made us delicious pasta. Fashion him a golden fork and spoon. Well, I mean, it, whatever they did, it worked because he shared the recipe with them. And they're actually the ones that brought fettuccine mm. Alfredo to the United States. Americans uh, stole it. Shared it, yeah, shared it with all their Hollywood friends. And then somebody said, what if this was flavor blasted? And that's how we got Guy Fieri. And that's <laughs> all because of wife, an Italian wife. And all guy. because of an Italian wife guy Beautiful. who just wanted to make something that his pregnant wife mm. would be able to keep down in her tummy. We were talking about my absolute least favorite menu item I've ever seen on a, in my life. No, I didn't know. Connor knows it. So... <laughs> yeah, <that's right. laughs> um, was it two Whoppers Junior? Uh, no, how dare you. <laughs> I was correct when I said that and I will stand by that for the rest of my life. It was correct. It was two Whoppers. No, please, please, please do not junior. draw this out of me first. Okay, I want to so, hear <laughs> The modifier. The modifier was junior. So, 
So anyway, it was a new restaurant that opened in Austin. I actually don't know if it's still if it's still open. It was a seafood, like a, a modern American seafood restaurant. So it was kind of bougie. Uh-huh. Like all the plates were like 30, 40 bucks. Sure. And it was kind of one of those places where it's like all the plates are like 30 or 40 bucks, but they come with no sides. And then you get the sides and they're like table size. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, so yeah. So like all the sides are like 15 to 20 dollars. Yeah. You're supposed to like share them at the table. And one of the sides <laughs> was a classic pasta dish that I think every child in America has had. It was $16. And the name of this dish on the menu was macaroni in the style of the box. What the fuck? <laughs> Fucking <laughs> And I was like, Crap, I, mac and cheese at. I know. And I saw that. And I remember because I was like, I was looking for like a nicer restaurant to go to, I think for like somebody's birthday. Yeah. And I was like, oh, they like seafood. There's a new seafood restaurant. And I saw that. And I was like, no, we cannot go. Here. I will not patronize this I establishment. I will not give the, I cannot support. Like I literally like as a direct pipeline of like my wallet to whoever wrote this, I cannot support. Macaroni what you said has upset me so box. deeply. It was, it was written. Somebody wrote that out on a menu. And they were like, and then said, nailed it. Nailed it. $16. <laughs> Send it to print. Hell yeah. So that's the worst that's thing I've ever That's horrible. Saw. Yeah, that's, it was that's tough. Finishing so Alfredo, great. Did I that make so you feel like an Italian? No. Okay. <laughs> it did not. Uh, Connor, uh, what are you going to invent for, <laughs> for your love somewhere <laughs> down the line? He has actually invented many meals that I like because he makes um, like vegetarian versions of things that I like. And so like... Aww. And I made, that, uh, made the Chelsea omelet. <gasps> yes. And the, Okay, so this is actually a very sweet story that I will tell since like this is the theme and it's a partner podcast i don't know if you know this ellie yeah but i actually used to paris hang on <laughs> I, you know what i didn't know that oh that's never come up <laughs> so it had, it had never come up in connor's and my relationship either because we were like newly dating and i was talking about it i was telling him that there was this place that we went to a lot i got the best omelet of my life mm. the like i dream of this omelet oh. the eggs were perfect and it had in it like caramelized onions and broccoli and like chunks of like fluffy potato and then just like these like lobs of like perfect like farmhouse cheese like french like rich yes. like goat cheese I'm and there. It was just like in like a glob I'm there. and i was like trying i was like it was like the most perfect amazing omelet did you make an omelet yeah and then i was like and i was like and you know what i have tried to find this place so many times like i'll go on google maps and i'll be like okay that's the metro stop and then we would turn right and it's like i can track my whole thing and i'm like i like the place that doesn't exist anymore or like i'm remembering something wrong but I cannot find this place. Uh, and then he, through trial and error, mistakenly worked to recreate the omelet that, that I described. Is adorable. Pure. And he calls it the Chelsea omelet, <laughs> and it's really fucking good. That's very good. It's a good One omelet. Day, it's a great omelet. Someone from Europe's gonna come over, see that, bring it back, the put Chelsea a fucking omelet. smiley face on it, and it's gonna change the world. <laughs> it's gonna change everything. <laughs> Chelsea, mm-hmm. it's points time. Hell yeah. All right. Points clock. Starting with ten points uh, for just enlightening me, enlightening me, and and. Adding wife guy to my vocabulary <laughs> extremely strong once you know it you will see wife guys everywhere yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going I'm going to subtract four points for sheer length four examples was it too it's a long lot it's a lot it was a lot I don't know how long it's that's been that's judgy it's, well I'm just I'm trying to hear, be it's here give fun. honest it is your, I'm, jo- your job so. I'm trying to give honest honest feedback here it's been long I thought you made beautiful points it's harsh and, no, it's okay <laughs> harsh um, I'm giving you uh, I'm giving you two of those points back though because the next time we have a Halloween theme food party, I will be making fettuccine Alfredo. I'm going to spell it with an F-R-A-I-D. That's Uh, very cute. And I have Future Miles has you to thank for that. Um, And then I'm going to give more points to that beautiful, even though I I did subtract points for length, that story at the end was just too good. That's just pure. That's pure and all. Thank Mm. you so much. Wait, what were the four examples again? So there was surgical gloves, goldfish, band-aids, and fettuccine Alfredo. Okay. I love it. All wife guy inventions. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right, well, I'm going to give you two points for each example oh of life inventions. Oh, that's eight? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just making sure she's writing it down. Yeah, she wrote it down. She wrote it down. Uh, and then I'm going to give you uh, another point so you have one more point than I gave Ellie. <laughs> Two point. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that means that Ellie is on 207 and Chelsea's creeping ahead at 210. Ah! 
Watch out, internet. Here, here they come. Boys, thank you for joining us for the Hot Boy episode of What? My pleasure. Did you enjoy mm-hmm. yourself? I did. Yeah, of course. We had a wholesome story and then we had a really horrific accident. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. a little bit of balancing out there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's about balance. Do you want people to find you? And if so, how? Well, we know about no, you. No, I'm going to hide. Luna. Yeah, no, you can find me at the Miles Luna pretty much on all platforms. <laughs> Uh, and I draw comic strips on Instagram at cornershoe.comics. They are fantastic, so you should check those out. Very cute. Chelsea, where can people find you? I'm actually so glad that you asked me Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I know, like, so everyone knows, like, my name is Chelsea, right? Sure. Okay, great. So, and you know, as I said at the beginning of the episode, I love praise and, like, I thrive on it. Correct. Yeah. So, like, a monster, but also, I guess, like, kind of, like, a responsible content creator, sometimes I like to go and read the reviews that people leave us on this podcast. Aww. Because they are very sweet and if you have heard the end of this podcast where Ellie asks you to leave a cute review and you've done it it means the absolute world to us for real it's so so sweet even if they're not so sweet even if they're cons- like I don't want you to like call us a slur but like give constructive <laughs> feedback like I'm an adult I can hear that but I love not praise. me not, not me. Ellie but I'll read it but <laughs> All I have to say is that somebody very recently left a review that is honest to blog, like one of my favorite reviews I've ever read. It is so sweet. They go oh, into like good. all this detail. They like crap. Like, like if you were somebody who was not, I could honestly see like somebody who was not familiar with this podcast, you would read their review and might listen to it. Ooh, it's that, it's that effusive and like evocative. Um, the interesting part is. Was it Becky Luna? And I don't think it was Becky Luna. And here's why. They <laughs> do say at the top, they love the hosts, Ellie and Jessica. <laughs> And here's the thing. If you're listening to this right now and you wrote that review, it's a real I'm not just saying this, it's a really good review. And I love it. Oh Ellie's immediately looking it up right now. Uh it's on Apple. Uh I I am so touched by the review that you left that I think I might be Jessica now. Like, I think that's like, like, the like, only solution. That's so good. Like, I would never ask this person to take their review down and I would never want to shame them about their review. So therefore, I think I might, they might just be right. Mm. So I might just also simply be also Jessica. Oh yeah, that's so good. Polka's leaders, Ellie and Jessica and sometimes a cast. Yes, but look how good the, like, like they really like, they like, they're a good writer. Yay, I love that. But not so, a good listener. So you can, Find, okay. So you can find her at Jessica Harfouche wherever internets are sold. <laughs> so find me at Chelsea Harfouche wherever internets are sold. But just know that like I also identify as Jessica. <laughs> because because it has been deemed by someone on Apple. Jazzy um, Kit. very sweet. Jazzy Kit Kat Bar. Yeah. Thank you, Jazzy Kit Kat Bar. Thank you very much, Jazzy Kat Bar. And thank you for my name. Very, very sweet. You can find me at Ellie Main. And, oh wait. You can find me at Ellie Main on Instagram and Ellie Maney on Twitter. Yeah, that's right. And you can find this podcast at whatpod on twitter instagram pinterest facebook i think i don't know we're actually now at the point where somebody helps us with our social oh my god i know we're growing and we're gonna take this world by storm Uh, and maybe this week i don't know go go learn something hey connor you should keep it loose keep it tight no miles you keep it tight (laughs) (laughs) but both of you need to say your prayers at night amen